Let's start today with a special announcement. If you want to experience the energy of Relationship Alive in person, then come to Portland, Maine on Thursday, June 6th, 2019 for Relationship Alive Live. Our featured guest will be Terry Real, author of The New Rules of Marriage and creator of Relational Life Therapy. We'll also have musical guest Katie Matzel, who's a local favorite here in Portland, joining us. And the chance for you to ask me and Terry your most pressing relationship questions live. And overall, it's going to be a great time. Two hours of fun and growth and way cheaper than a therapy session. Show will be starting at 7 p.m. sharp with the doors opening at 6.30. And we'll be at One Longfellow Square, an amazing intimate room with limited seating available. Terry will also be available after the show for a book signing. To purchase your tickets, visit neilsatin.com slash tickets. And I am looking forward to seeing you there. Now, today's show is going to be all about how you can create a closer, more intimate connection with your partner in as little as 20 minutes per week. Sometimes it's not about the quantity of time, it's about the quality. And today's guest will help you structure your relationship time with 20 minutes per week over the course of a year to get slow, steady benefits accruing interest in your relationship bank account. So stay tuned to see what I'm talking about. I do have some quick gratitude to share. First, I've been getting lots of emails recently from new listeners to the show, and many of them have specifically mentioned that a friend turned them on to Relationship Alive. So if that friend is you, thank you for sharing Relationship Alive with others because you never know who'll be helped when you simply share the show. I've also really been enjoying reading the new reviews that have been coming in on iTunes. It's especially heartening to hear how Relationship Alive is helping you in your life. So thank you for taking a moment to write those reviews, which also help people find the show. With that in mind, as you may have heard me say, Relationship Alive is an offering to you so that you can have the most successful relationships possible. If you are finding the show to be helpful, please consider a donation to help ensure that we can continue. To choose something that feels right to you, please visit neilsatin.com slash support, or you can text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And this week, a big thank you goes out to Kent, Sarah, Lauren, Joseph, Ruthanna, and Aaron. Thank you all so much for your donations to Relationship Alive to help keep us going. Finally, just a quick reminder that there are two free ways for you to get extra support in your relationship. If you want to deepen your connection simply through the way that you communicate, take a moment to download my top three relationship communication secrets. These are the kinds of things that will help you stay connected to your partner no matter how challenging the topic that you're talking about. Just visit neilsatin.com slash relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 to download this free guide. And if you're on Facebook, you can join the Relationship Alive community where we have more than 2,700 people gathered to create a safe space to get support in your relationship. 
And if you happen to be on Instagram, we just got our Relationship Alive official Instagram page going. So come find us there. Just make sure you follow the Relationship Alive official account, not the person who's pretending to be Relationship Alive. Okay, I think that's it. So let us get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. It's funny, we kind of fall into relationship a lot of the times. Sometimes it's when we're looking for someone and other times it can literally just fall into our lap, the spark of attraction or who knows what circumstance that brings you into connection and partnership with someone. And as we've talked about here on the show, often, in, though not always, in those initial moments, things are easy. Things seem to connect without too much trouble. You have the kind of sex you want to have, you have the kind of fun you want to have, and it sets you up for a uh, potentially long future together. And then you commit to a long future together, only to find, sometimes not long after, that there's a little more to be reckoned with in order to actually be fit for long-term connection with another person. And that's okay. It's par for the course. It's just what happens. And of course, what we're focused on here on Relationship Alive are the kinds of skills and awarenesses that you need so that no matter what stage you're in, you have resources available to you so that you can get past whatever growth challenges you're, you're meeting in the moment and take your relationship to the next level. And so today I'm really excited to share with you something that feels like a really practical manual of sorts to help you in your relationship, written by someone who clearly knows what she's doing, knows her stuff, and also you can just tell by the words in her book that she has kind of like me, an insatiable curiosity about what makes us tick and, and how to find lots and lots of resources and pull them together in a way that make them accessible for you. Her name is Alicia Munoz, and her book, No More Fighting, 20 Minutes a Week to a Stronger Relationship, just came out. And I have to say, like I just mentioned, I've really enjoyed this book both because it is full of practical ideas and wisdom for you as someone in relationship, but also uh, because it covers such a wide range of possibilities. It's set up really so you can do one thing a week over the course of a year, and uh, we're going to dive into some of the content so you get a sense of what we're talking about. But it starts with things that are a little easier, and by the end, you might get to things that are a little more challenging but in a good way, in a way that really helps you thrive in your relationship and, and push your edges a little bit more. So as usual, we are going to have a detailed transcript of this episode. In order to get it, you can visit neilsatin.com slash no more fighting. I'll push together as one word. So neilsatin.com slash no more fighting. 
and uh, just click the download the transcript button. Or as always, you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And as a special treat, we are going to also have a book giveaway. So to one of the lucky people who downloads the transcript in the first week after this show has come out, you will receive a free copy of No More Fighting, signed by Alicia Munoz, the author and today's guest. All right, I think that's enough from me. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us today here on Relationship Alive. It's such a pleasure to be here, Neil. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. You're welcome. And I, as I was just saying, I was so impressed by the range of topics that you cover in your book. And I'm wondering if you could talk for a moment about just just help give us a little context for where no more fighting, where that came from in your in your practice and in your life. Mm, sure. Well, I mean, I've been wanting to write a book for many, many years, and um, it just it's never there's never really been enough time. Um, but gradually, through um, various opportunities that have come my way, this one presented itself, and. Um, I just dove right in. I still didn't have time. Uh, I was uh-huh. still busy, but um, it it really, in a sense, I feel like it almost wrote itself because I had so many, well, like 13 years of experience working with couples kind of under my belt and just um, just so much that I wanted to condense and share to help people get these kind of bite-sized doses of support in order to work through challenging issues in their relationships. Yeah, and so 20 minutes a week to a stronger relationship. You're not saying that all people need to give to their relationship is 20 minutes a week, obviously, but no. But you're giving them this 20-minute long infusion that that they can bring into the week that can give them a little extra. Um, a little extra boost, a little extra thing to consider, a little extra yeah. way to connect. Absolutely. Um, and it is a little bit of, you know, um, sort of uh, a carrot that, that we're, you know, we're dangling with that 20 minute promise. But if you do the 20 minutes, it's, it's, it can help you exponentially. So if you really invest that 20 minutes of time a week in sitting with your partner and, and following some of the guidance and some of the container tips that I give at the beginning of the book, then that will um, potentially, you know, help you connect in ways that you just wouldn't have a chance to connect had you not invested the time. Right. And 20 minutes, like to a couple that feels super busy, um, that can feel like a lot. Well, hopefully not too much because 20 minutes it's better than an hour right like oh I can find 20 minutes like that's yeah that's between like flossing and brushing I I think I've got 20 minutes in there but um but on the other hand I think it also works out that if you're able to find that 20 minutes and carve it out in an in a in an especially busy life or in a life where you're having you're sort of missing your partner mm-hmm. that it's kind of like when you set a timer for 5 minutes to work on cleaning your living room and mm-hmm. before you know it 30 minutes have gone by and it's way, yeah. it's I think it has that same kind of impact where so many of your exercises I think will bring people into a kind of connection where, you know, they might hear the the buzzer go off at 20 minutes and be like, 
well, let's let's set that for another 10 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that that definitely can can absolutely happen. Um, And I mean, it's I think it's also important, though, because with people that I've worked with and well, with my own husband, um, also having having um, a, a time limit and having a container can really be soothing to partners who um, who have a, a sort of a low tolerance for sort of extended uh, dialogues or extended um, intimacy. I mean, I, I talk in the book about intimacy tolerance and that we, we really do all have different tolerance levels for intimacy. And this idea that, well, it's always good to have a high tolerance for intimacy uh, doesn't really take into account the reality that it's it's neither good nor bad. It's that we, we have different tolerance levels for it. And so the 20 minutes is really there to protect both the, the person who gets flooded from too much and to give enough of a dose of connection to the person who for whom 20 minutes feels like, you know, 20 seconds. Right. Right. That's so important how it, it creates safety in both directions. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And maybe that's a good place to dive in because I think so many people, they might find themselves in circumstances like that. And I know as your work uh, with your Imago training that you're Mm -hmm. no stranger to couples who somehow find themselves in relationship with someone who seems exactly like the wrong partner for them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I've ever met a different kind of couple, but maybe that's just (laughs) (laughs) part of being a therapist that, you know, people who come in have really have the sense of, wow, we're so different. How are we going to make this work? Right, right. And, and there's this illusion, I think, especially when they find out about Imago, your Imago match that, well, why don't I just like ditch this person and find the person who's not (laughs) my Imago match? Um, Yeah. But of course, it doesn't really work that way, does it? It doesn't. Uh, You know, it's, I think, one of the humbling aspects of relationship, as I'm sure you yourself have experienced perhaps at times, is that, you know, we're, we have an unconscious, right? So (laughs) it's not just... (laughs) It's like, yeah, we do, actually. (laughs) We do. I mean, that one took me many years to, to grasp. I mean, I really thought... I was running the show, uh, you know, and, and in control and could be in control. And it was just a matter of being even more in control of, of everything. But uh, I've gradually come to accept and surrender to the reality that I can't control everything. And that, you know, my unconscious makes choices or, or is drawn to things that I may not consciously be drawn to. And I would say drawn to, and certainly with my husband, you know, and, and previous partners, um, I think that plays a huge part in our love relationships. Right. Right. I mean, how many times have you had the conversation with someone where they're talking about the person that they've met that that probably isn't their imago match, that they're someone who is perfect in every way, yes. except <laughs> they just can't bring themselves to actually be attracted to them and want to be with them? Yes, that is is something I think we've all heard or maybe even experienced where it's like, this is the perfect person and, you know, she's so generous, she's so kind, he's so thoughtful, um, and I just am not into them. Right, but let's, let's also protect 
our listeners from feeling like it has to be at the other extreme too. I think what we're advocating for is is that that blissful gray zone somewhere in the middle mm. where you're you are um, attracted in that unconscious cosmic sort of you could never have made it happen way. Mm. But on mm. the flip side, there are relationships that are so problematic or fraught with turmoil and abuse or uh, lack of safety that that they really they shouldn't be followed through with or they sh or you don't necessarily need to stick with those people oh absolutely yeah that's that's definitely it's it's um a balance uh you know and like you say it's really that gray zone that we have both the conscious factors that draw us to somebody and then there are these these unconscious factors that through through an alliance and through awareness we can gradually work through and certainly um, learn to be more in collaboration with our partner around those. Yeah, that's a great word, collaboration, and um, getting to that place where you're where you're on the same team with your partner. Um, do you have any? special uh, exercises that come to mind for you that are about what's what's coming to mind for me is something like when when a couple comes in to see you and you can tell that they haven't yet figured out that the other person isn't out to get them like they're still mm -hmm. operating in that paradigm where it's like they don't they really don't feel safe because the other person maybe is actively undermining parts of them or they've introduced you know you bring up in your book the four horsemen that that john gottman talks about um criticism contempt defensiveness mm -hmm. stonewalling um so maybe there are some things that that are undermining the safety of their connection right where's a place right. that you like to start with a couple to help them feel that alignment or feel that sense of oh we actually we're going to get a lot further if we collaborate like this with each other Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Well, in Imago, and I think in a lot of other uh, other frameworks, it's it's pretty common to try to begin even the initial couple session with gratitude and appreciations. So you know, from the get go, really trying to open the container of connection by helping partners focus on what's working and focus on what they appreciate. And that can be challenging when there are a lot of frustrations and there's a lot that's not working and there's uh, kind of a, uh, a mental cache uh, of negative assumptions about one another. But being able to kind of bring to mind the things that you appreciate is one simple but effective way of kind of resetting people to to see each other through 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 this lens of positivity and so that's one one and I have many others I could share with you if you wanted. Yeah, well we'll maybe be able to bring them up spontaneously as we as we go through today's conversation. Sounds um, good. Let's set the groundwork for people though around you mentioned already um creating a, a space and carving out time and and this 20 minutes a week um program that you have mm -hmm. in the No More Fighting book, what's, what is the context that's going to help people make the best use out of those 20 minutes? I think that really agreeing on um, a location 
in your apartment or, you know, your home or wherever you are and, and be beginning to develop associations with that place, you know, that whether it's two chairs that are facing each other in, in your dining area or, you know, whether you're sitting on the ground in the living room on cushions and, you know, lighting a candle or, you know, some sort of associations that you can develop with the location that help it be pleasurable for both of you. So I think that that's, that's helpful. And then also the time container. So agreeing on the 20 minutes and agreeing that you're both going to kind of take up more or less 10 of those 20 minutes and share it. And then if there's a point where you want to renegotiate the, the extending the container, then being uh, accountable to each other for doing that, not um, kind of uh, blindsiding each other or, or just talking over that time limit. So I think it's really important to be intentional and conscious about the boundaries that you're setting, whether it's the location or the amount of time that you're going to be talking. That's going to create a sense of of safety and, um, okay, like this, this isn't going to be too much, you know, and this is going to be a positive experience. It's really, uh, valuable and important to cushion this whole process in, in pleasure. Yeah. And then you also talk a lot in, you know, true Imago fashion about being, uh, responsible for, who is the one who's actually speaking in a given moment and who's the one who's mm -hmm. listening in a given moment. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you a question that, you know, I haven't even asked Harville and Helen about, which is, um, is there a way that you think is the best way to choose who goes first in which role? I always think it's kind of amusing when I'm, I probably shouldn't say this, but when I'm working with couples to just say, okay, mm -hmm. this is what we're going to do, you know, who's going to go first? And, and you learn something, obviously, mm -hmm. from watching that negotiation process mm -hmm. between a couple. And yet there is a part of me that wants to help people out. And so yeah. if they're sitting here and wondering, like, what's, is there an ideal way to determine right. who should? That's interesting. Huh. Um, I would love to hear what Harville and Helen have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I actually learned somewhere at some point probably in my Imago training or maybe from my Imago supervisor or might have heard it in a workshop, but this stuck in my head that at least for the initial session, um, it can be, um, it can be helpful to whoever called and made the appointment. So whoever was the initiator, uh, sort of the motive, the motivated one to, to create the session that, um, asking them to go first or saying, would you, would you like to open? Or since you were the one who called, I'd love, you know, love to hear from you first that that can, um, sort of decrease the anxiety of the partner. Who's the, what we call an imago, the draggy, you know, there's always mm -hmm. a dragger. I shouldn't say always, but often there's a dragger and a draggy. So, um, the person who was the initiator, tends to be the person who um, feels more comfortable, uh, you know, at least breaking the ice. It's not always the case, but that's, that's one way that I do it with the initial session. And then I think after that, um, I'll often uh, say, you know, and, and it's sometimes true, often true, that I can't quite remember who may have started the last time. So I'll just say, you know, 
who who was you know who whose turn is it or who which of you would like to start or did we start first with somebody else and that way it gives them a sense to if there if there's a feeling of inequity in terms of who speaks more or who starts first more it gives uh, them a chance to speak up and claim you know that space that that space to to speak yeah that makes a lot of sense too that they're just like their safety in creating a a time boundary there's safety in mm-hmm. knowing that well if i'm not the one to start today i'll be the one to start next week yeah and and knowing that that's going to be true um and before we go any further maybe we could talk for a moment too about um two little nuances one being the a good way to listen and the second being the the sender the speaker responsibility um, in terms of being the one who's communicating. Mm, yeah, yeah. So is that a question in terms of the good way to listen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. I think it would just be helpful for people who are new to this conversation and haven't yeah. heard the episodes that we've done with Harville Hendricks and Helen okay. Kelly Hunt talk about Imago. We don't Absolutely. have to give them the whole the whole structure, but just that sense of like, okay, sure. this is how I know that I'm being a good listener. And sure. these are like the little things to look out for. And this is how sure. I know I'm being a good speaker and the mm-hmm. things to look out for. Absolutely. Well, I mean, with the listening, it's it's helpful to do the first step of the Imago Dialogue, which is reflective listening. And that's when you just take in the words, your partner's words, and uh, reflect back, paraphrase back in, you know, your own words, but also using your partner's words, what you hear them say. So that's a good way to ground yourself in active listening is really focusing on the words and then paraphrasing the words back. Um, and then just keeping in mind a neutral body posture, neutral, as neutral as you can voice, neutral to warm. Um, and yeah, it sounds easy, but it's, it, it can be quite challenging. So those are some tips for that. Yeah. And as the listener, if you, if you find yourself starting to think about what, how you're going to respond to mm. the person, then you've probably stopped being a great listener. And yeah. uh, and what about when you, do you have any particular things you like if you as a listener notice, oh, I'm, I am starting to get a little judgmental or I feel my defensiveness coming up or I, I wanna refute the things that my mm. partner is saying. What, what are some ways just that within myself or maybe I introduce it into the conversation that I could bring myself kind of back online into active, empathic, mm-hmm. non-judgmental listening. Yeah. Um, so it, it always helps to agree on these things with your partner beforehand, like these signals and just let them know, you know, this is what I'm going to do when I feel myself starting to go into my own judgments, my own agenda. So to, you know, gently kind of raise your hand or come up with another signal where you're letting your partner know, um, you know, just, I need you to pause while I, while I reflect back what I heard you say. So actually having a hand signal or, um, some other visual signal can be helpful. Um, it's, it's also good to have your own ways of self-soothing and that could be anything from, you know, just taking a very deep breath, exhaling, closing your eyes for a moment, um, uh, or, um, you know, wiggling your 
toes around in your shoes or just bringing mindfulness to your body for a second or two. And those can all be good reminders to just get centered and refocus. Right, right. And just as a reminder, as Alicia said, you're you're going to do your best within the 20 minute confines of this uh, this time that you've allotted to take turns. So you'll be listening for 10 minutes and then you'll have your 10 at the end. Um, but hopefully you're, you're going to stick to the, you know, stick yeah. to the script in terms of it's not like, well, that was horrible. And now I'm going to blast you for 10 minutes, but, right. but you'll have a chance to also give your perspective and be heard. So I think that that actually makes me think of mm -hmm. another good aspect, which is if you remember that your goal as a listener is to help the person who's speaking feel understood and feel like you really got them, like you really heard them, then there's a natural reciprocity. I think mm -hmm. that happens that you can even ask for because at, if you've done a really thorough job understanding your partner, and they agree that you you got them, mm. then then you can follow up by being like, well, I would now I'd appreciate it if you would really hear me, hear my perspective about this thing, and it gives you a chance to 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 make the conversation also about that reciprocity. Yes, um, yes, I love that word. That's yeah. a beautiful word, Neil. And I think it it's that's the foundation. You know, incrementally as you. Um, as you are generous with your presence and with your listening and with kind of sitting on and or just kind of back your own stuff, it's something that really opens your partner's generosity and opens their heart and makes them much more willing to also hear you when it's your turn. So um, it, it really will build the more, the more that you, well, I mean, it doesn't always happen, but ideally, uh, the more that you can kind of stretch out of your, your agenda or your comfort zone, the more your partner can also do that as well as they see you modeling that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that word generosity as well that you use that, that you're, you're in the position of modeling what you hope to receive from yeah. your partner. It's one of the hardest things, I think, especially if you get to a place where you're feeling like, oh, I just like I don't want to be the one who always has to give or yeah. or at least not right now. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I just want them to get me for, for a change. <laughs> um, you know, next time you should be the one to speak first, then that's all I'm going right. to say. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, and speaking of speaking, um, let's just talk for a moment, too, about the responsibility of being the one who's communicating, and this could be about a full range of things, your mm -hmm. needs, your experience, your past, your present, what you hope mm -hmm. for. Um, mm -hmm. But what are some ways to communicate that are the most likely to be generative and, and get you to someplace new with your partner? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that really getting clear on your intention before you speak is one of the biggest things that I would suggest people try. I have to do this for myself all, all the time. It's, um, it's really uh, important to be honest with yourself about 
why you want to say what you're going to say. And if you're in these 20 minute containers with your partner, you know, taking a second or two or five seconds to take a deep breath and remember that you're doing this process, you're in this process because you, you presumably, you know, uh, love your partner and want to expand and grow as a couple, then that's really going to put a little bit of a, a, a buffer. It's going to help you resist the pull to get, you know, maybe couch a criticism in a seemingly, uh, you know, neutral statement, or it's going to help you to really say what you, what you want to say in a way that's not blaming or judgmental. Yeah. Let's, um, let's talk about that for a moment. The, um, cause Imago has that process of the behavior chains request mm-hmm. because I could, I could already feel like the sticking point in me, even though I know, mm. even though I know the answer to this, but it's like, but wait a minute, what if like the reason that we're here is because I got some complaints about my partner. <laughs> like, like if I didn't have anything to complain about, we wouldn't be yeah, here. Like all right, would be good. Right. So yeah. So I want to be able to deliver these complaints yeah. in a way that it's actually going to create some change. Yeah. So, so the, the intention is the starting point and then the actually operationalizing that is requires accountability, which means that you can say something to your partner, like, you know, um, you know, when you arrive 10 minutes late at our, you know, our romantic dinner date, um, I feel angry. I feel frustrated. And the story that I make up is that your work is more important than our relationship. And then I protect myself by um, ignoring you and spending the whole dinner, you know, scrolling through Facebook and texting friends. You know, like it's it's like you you. I didn't say anything blaming right then, but I did get my frustration out. Mm. So it's kind of breaking it down in a way that you're identifying the trigger when you do X or I feel such and such a way um, when this happens between us. But then taking ownership for the different parts, the different components, you know, so trigger, emotion, mental interpretation, my coping mechanism, you know, and, and that's really a way to, to take, to, to kind of just get clarity around what's, what's going on for you internally versus just saying, you're so inconsiderate, I'm never going to arrange a date night like this ever again. Yeah. So let's just go into that breakdown for a moment, because I think that was really helpful. So where you, you listed out the trigger and et cetera, et cetera. Um, just can we identify what each of those things are? It sounds to me like a way for someone to really take responsibility for how they're feeling in the moment mm-hmm. and and get at um, get at the crux of what their intention might even be when they're trying to to communicate with their partner about something that's coming at them crosswise. Right. 
Yeah. And, and this takes practice. So, you know, uh, I don't want to give your listeners the idea that, oh, this is just going to kind of easily kind of come out of your mouth this way. So it does take some uh, sort of inquiry and self-reflection and, and using your relationship as, um, as a kind of zone to experiment and learn about yourself. But each of those points there, when you often, we feel our feelings and we're so busy and maybe we're not aware of, well, what triggered it and what, how did I interpret that trigger? And then what feelings came from my interpretation? And then how did I then sort of defensively respond to my own feelings? So we're not aware of all that. Often we just, we're going through life and we're just like, oh my God, you know, he pissed me off. She pissed me off. This is upsetting me. That person is rude or, so it's really with our partners, it's important to think about all those different domains and, and slow down enough to be able to consider what your experience was based on even just one, one moment between you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that, how it opens someone up to that, that process of figuring out how their own story about what happened mm -hmm. is what contributes to how they, how they're responding to their partner. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Which also seems so important in, in those moments. Um, so I'm wondering now, this is making me think of, you have so many amazing little chapters in your book because that covers a whole year's worth of of work and i just i'm going to read through the some of the the larger headings just so our listeners mm. can get a sense of what i'm talking about so it starts with things like self-care and communication and getting your partner's world and intimacy issues now i'm just giving you like section headings so each of these has two or three chapters within it that give you uh, a vignette of a, of a couple that's going through this particular issue. And by the way, I just want to say as a side note, your vignettes were really fun and instructive to read. And that is not always the case. I, I read so many of these books, right? Mm -hmm. And and often I'm like, I just get lost in the vignettes. Or I'm like, why did you even have to tell me that? But the way that you laid this out makes it, it just makes sense. So you read the mm. vignette and you're like, oh, okay, I totally get what Alicia Munoz is talking about. And um, and then there's some sort of meta level, like this is the exercise that we're doing. And then there's like the actual exercise with a little example. So, um, so it goes from those categories that I was talking about into, now I'm skipping a few pages, attachment issues, power and control. Um, ruptures in your relationship, repair, money, parenting. Um, I particularly liked the little chapter on blended families, um, which we have in, in our household. Mm -hmm. um, all the way down, and, and in the intro, I said, yeah, it gets a little challenging at the end. So at the end, it, you cover relationship wreckers like addictions and dishonesty and and wanting other people outside of the relationship and different takes on monogamy. So it really runs the gamut. What you were just making me think of, though, was uh, the way that we take responsibility for for ourselves. And, and that also gets wrapped up in projection, mm. which is one of those things where until you like, I mean, it's like when you notice 
that you have feelings and then suddenly realize you're like feeling all over the place. Like, oh, oh my God, I thought I was just like this rational automaton or whatever and going through life. And it turns out I'm feeling all over. And then, you know, that might get enhanced once you figure out like, oh, I, and actually I'm getting triggered all over the place. Like once you know how to recognize signs of sympathetic arousal in your body, fight or flight, you're like, oh, okay, I, I get it. This is happening all over the time. So for me, like projection was another one of those things where I was like, yeah. whoa, like, I'm like, yeah. at first it was, I guess I'm projecting all over other people all the time. I had to really think about that a lot. And then experiencing other people's projection all the mm -hmm. time. Um, so let's dive in there for a moment, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, and what wants to come out, I think, from my perspective is I want to, I would love to hear your take on how do you get a sense of what's real and what's projection and how do you, if you know that your what your partner is saying to you is just like so obviously them projecting their stuff onto you, mm. what? How do you respond in a way that's gonna actually be helpful in that moment? It's mm, mm, a great question. Hmm. So, so I think how do you know? So let me just start with. How do you know, I think, was it, how do you know when you're projecting or how do you know when your partner's projecting onto you? Yeah, let's just pick one because I think they'll, okay. either direction will be either instructive. Direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, our partners are really uh, the perfect people to help us understand our own projections. Mm. I think it's one of the uh, benefits of being in a relationship is that they are going to feel us projecting onto them and they're not going to like it and they're going to, they're going to have a response to it. And, um, I, I, I'll give an example from my marriage if that's okay. Yeah, great. Um, so initially when my husband and I were dating, I was never angry. I was, uh, always, um, spiritual and always felt very loving towards people. And, um, you know, I, I just, anger was beneath me. So, I remember that at one point my husband, my, hum my husband was very angry. My then boyfriend was very angry and I was always complaining about how angry he was and if he could just be less angry. And, um, this made him angry. <laughs> 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 so I remember, uh, sort of a moment when he calmly said to me, you know what? I think you're the one who's angry. And, and when he said that, I felt this almost like a floodgate of rage. Just, just I felt it in my body, and wow. and um, I it was this visceral sense of almost wanting to to throw up. It was just so foreign. First of all, to be called out, and then to actually feel it in my body, and um, and it just kind of turned my world upside down a bit that moment. And then I, so that was you know we have these moments where. And I think what made the difference is that I had enough, I'd done enough work and we had built enough safety and we were in couples counseling at the time to be able to at least consider the possibility that he was right, that I had this anger inside me that I was projecting out onto him. And then being able to consider that gradually helped me to make more and more room to experience my own anger and to take more ownership and more responsibility for it. And 
then of course, to begin looking at why I had such trouble feeling anger, owning anger. So it's a, it's a process, but I think being able to consider, notice when something makes you very defensive and that's usually a sign that there's some piece of it inside you that you can take ownership of. It doesn't mean that your partner might not always, or might not also, you might not be a little bit right about your partner, but to be able to kind of look at, oh, you know, when I point my index finger at my partner, there are these three fingers pointing back at, my, at me. <laughs> <laughs> and how am I this thing that I'm blaming or accusing them of being? Yeah. Yeah. That feels like it, it, not that I do this, but in this con, now that we've had this conversation, I'm going to make a practice of this, which is anytime I think that my wife, Chloe, is doing something, I will ask myself, how do mm. I, how do I do this, the very thing yes. that I'm sensitive about with her right now? Yes. And, and that becomes, I think you're right, an access point to, mm-hmm just deeper truths about ourselves and and yeah. to bring those parts of us online um, yeah. in a different that's, way. That's, yeah, that's really brilliant. I think that's really a great tip. And it reminds me a little bit of Byron Katie's work right. where, where, you know, you identify the thing you believe and then you turn, you know, you turn it around, you flip it around to its opposite and consider that. You know, so my husband is so angry. So the, the turnaround would be, I am so angry. So it's that ability to look at the belief. And then, as you just said, you would, you would do with your wife to be able to flip it around and consider how this lives inside of you. Yeah. Now, do you mind sharing, like in, in taking that on, and you can say, I pass on this question if you want, because mm-hmm. who knows, maybe your husband will listen and he'll be like, that is not how it happened. <laughs> but, um, but I'm curious, like, what did you discover about his anger in going through that process? Because I'm guessing that he was angry at yeah. least at some things, right? Oh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it was true that he had uh, a lot of anger and a lot of frustration and um, exhibited anger in a much, you know, a much more visible way. Um, and of course, there's the whole gender part of this where, you know, men are, are generally um, socialized to be like more expressive of their anger, but not of their softness and their vulnerability and their tenderness. Right. And whereas with women, it's, it's often reversed. So, I mean, what we discovered was that as I own more of my anger, he didn't have to be so angry and he, he didn't have to carry as much of that in our relationship. But he also gradually, and this takes, take, takes time and took time, but gradually he could be more vulnerable and could be more tender. And, you know, the, the softer, more, more typically feminine parts of him could come out and live and, and be a part of our dynamic. So there became, if things got more fluid, there was less rigidity around our, our roles and our emotions and how we express them. Yeah, we we did have Harriet Lerner on to talk about the dance of anger. So I encourage our listeners to to check that out. It's one of our earlier episodes, uh, if you get a chance. And um, I think you're bringing up such a valuable point, which is that there there is room for a healthy expression of anger for for both people in a relationship. And the anger is so often sourced from 
um, from something else um, uh, that like a hurt or a fear yeah. or something that's being aggravated and and being willing to be vulnerable can often get you to to the exact same place um, but in a yeah. way that actually brings you together with your partner mm-hmm yeah, actually, I'm curious about that because I know you've done a lot of work with AEDP, mm. and uh, we had Diana Fosha on. And in fact, we're gonna I'm gonna be speaking with David Mars in a couple weeks um, to talk about AEDP for couples, um, which I'm super excited about. But I'm curious f- from your learned perspective about this, what is the AEDP take on anger? Because I know it's it's listed out as as a core emotion, right? So. Mm-hmm. What, What's the nuance there between anger as a core emotion and anger as sort of a secondary piece that comes after you've been hurt? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not sure I can speak to it even close to the way Diana Fasha would or, or David Mars would, but my understanding is is that it can be either a defense, hiding a, a sort of an underlying emotion like sadness or, um, you know, helplessness or fear. Um, but it can also be an enlivening, um, resource feeling anger can, can be part of this core affect that we need to experience. And, you know, another emotion like sadness could be the cover for it Hmm. or, um, you know, the, the kind of, uh, the outer coating of it that we use to avoid feeling the anger. So it's, I think it, it has a lot to do with how it's used, whether it's used defensively um, or not. Got it. Got it. So you might look at your anger and try to diagnose it a little bit more like where, you know, where is mm-hmm. this, is this, am I trying to motivate change with this yeah. anger? Am I trying to protect myself with this anger? Um, am I trying to find a sense of power when I'm feeling powerless? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's one way to try to kind of work with it is to, you know, I think also to really see how it how it works in your relationships. So is it, you know, it and, and how it feels in your body, you know, when you're accessing anger that is um, more of a core emotion. And I'm not talking about acting out on the anger, but Mm -hmm. when I say accessing, I mean more like you are able to feel it in your body. You're able to let it kind of run through you. It's it's something that will um, be like a release or it will it will open up new possibilities. It will it will help shift your sense of yourself as, you know, somebody with agency in the world. So I think that, that that's really an important piece of it is to look at, you know, how is this, how does this feel in my body? Um, and, you know, is this something that's helping me connect to myself and also connect more authentically to people in my life? Mm. Mm, right. Because, just hearing you say that, I think back to that conversation with your husband, who was your boyfriend, I guess, at the time, that on some level there was probably a, a certain place that you weren't accessing in your connection with him. So, yeah. so f- having that moment of 
truth around mm-hmm. your own anger enabled you to access something that that you could then feed to your to your connection. Like, here's more of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So it's it's about the authentic the authenticity, you know, and um, being able to access more more parts of yourself more authentically. Often we get locked into um, a limited range of our experience of our own selves because so much of of ourselves have been labeled or um, kind of gone underground through conditioning, our family conditioning, or you know, social conditioning. And so I think one of the imperatives or one of the goals of our, of our life force is just how do we feel more of ourselves within our body? How do we experience what it means to be fully alive? And anger is a part of being fully alive. Uh, and it can be, it can be part of what gives us access to our life force. Mm. Yeah. And we were, chatting a little bit about that before we before I hit record mm-hmm. and now I'm I'm super intrigued to to hear more about your your view on how we access more of that life force and bring it into our own lives bring it into our connection what's mm-hmm. um and you were talking about it earlier now we're talking about it in the context of anger um, yeah. Earlier, we were talking about it in the context of pleasure. Yeah. Um, so, which is maybe a, more, a happier place to be talking about <laughs> life force. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so funny. I was just like, oh my God, like I wrote this book, No More Fighting, and here I am talking to you, and I'm like, yeah, access your anger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, sh- <laughs> um, you know, so it, it it's. <sighs> I think it helps to have examples because all this stuff can get very heady. Um, but, um, great. Yeah. So what was the question again? (laughs) (laughs) Give me some examples of ways that we can bring more of our life force online with our Mm -hmm. partners, but maybe it's first within ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that, it's easy to get caught up in adulting, you know? Uh-huh. And, and I think one of the dangers of, a, of adulting is that um, we start to gradually live for others and, and for roles and for tasks and accomplishments and um, sort of serving. And, and I think that our life force is there's no reason for it. It just is. It's what children often have. They just have this um, joy in bouncing around and and using, you know, playing and creating and making noise and being being original in the things that they do and being creative in the thing in the things they do. And as adults, I think it's very easy to lose touch with that. So, Pleasure for me is one of the big ways that we can access our, our life force. And pleasure is that sense of like, I'm in the flow, I'm laughing, I'm alive, I'm connected, I'm enjoying nature, I'm reading poetry, uh, you know, I'm savoring this food, I'm in the moment, just just being this, this channel for joy and aliveness and presence. 
And I think that finding the things, it's not necessarily easy to do, but finding little things that make you feel that way is really at at the foundation of self-care. Yeah, so that makes me go in two different directions. One being, I know for myself, I have a sense, and and it's even connected in some ways to childhood because I have vivid memories of the things that delighted me mm. um, and and in fact we we even had um, Julie Henderson on the show who she does this has this whole body of work around embodying well-being and so much of what she talks about are these like simple exercises that literally are things that kids do but you know spelled out for the adults who are so busy adulting that they've forgotten <laughs> how to how to you know, blow bubbles with their lips or how to, you know, do crazy stretches or talk in gibberish or whatever it is. <laughs> um, it's really fun work. And so f- I'm wondering for you, so there are these like glimmers of like, oh yeah, like I remember these things when I was a kid that used to light me up. And maybe that's a place to start for some people. Mm. Um, I know I, I talk to some adults who are so overwhelmed with adulting I like that word Mm -hmm. that um, I don't like the word overwhelmed but adulting is kind of (laughs) amusing to me Um, that that they really can be in that like I don't even know like I don't even know what brings me pleasure anymore or or I think of like an extreme example of someone who's been through some trauma Mm -hmm. where they're like shut off to their their pleasure because they have to like get through a whole say wall of shame in order to get to the pleasure right Um, so so alicia crack open the door for us if i'm if i were like stumbling in the darkness like i just i'm so disconnected from my pleasure and and maybe the only way i feel alive has been through fighting in my relationship Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. how do how do i get more at something that's more blissful and more sustainable Mm, that's a great question yeah, and trauma is so pervasive, um, and there's so many different w- forms and ways that um, that we we experience trauma. And I think just I think you know becoming an adult often is almost a form of sort of micro traumas in itself. Yeah. So I, I think I think that having um, having a witness or witnesses whether that's a coach or a therapist or, you know, even this podcast, you know, is having, it's a way of, of developing this community and bringing mindfulness and awareness to like another way of being. So I think that if there's that, if there's a lot of fighting and there's trauma and you can't even access pleasure, it's important to find a connection or multiple connections where you can safely be held as you process your grief, you know, as you um, show up in the truth of your numbness, um, your regret, your sense of loss, your, your sense of feeling lost. So I think that finding, it's very important, the connection piece is really important, the connection in the community. And so so being able to know yourself well enough and invest in yourself to create the community 
through resources like your podcast here, Neil, or books or, um, you know, a group, uh, and also having coaches, therapists, um, if you have resources to do that, or, you know, another, um, a group that you create locally, it's really important to be held through the difficulties that get in the way of being able to feel joy, you know, Mm. and, and to be witnessed in, in, in wherever you are. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hearing you name things that might be those initial obstacles to getting to your joy is like that, that there could be some painful things that you're Mm -hmm. avoiding or have numbed yourself to. And, and, you know, as far as I understand, you don't get to just selectively be like, oh, I'm, I'm never going to feel, I'm never going to feel sad or I'm never going to feel grief. I'm just going to feel happy. Right. Like no, that's bypassing. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, and you meet, you probably meet people like that um, where they're, they are happy, but it, there's not, there's something that feels, um, it doesn't feel very grounded in who mm. they are. Um, you know, like I, I'm thinking of times where I've been in experiences where there's been someone who's been like, oh, I'm like, I'm so happy right now. Aren't we having such a good time? Where I'm just mm. like, are you having a good time? Or are you just, yeah. <laughs> are you just yeah. talking about how we're having a good time? Um, so, and I love your, your listing of different options, different ways for people to get connected with support and, and identifying that, um, connection is so much at the heart of a lot of the healing that needs to take place. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't happen when you're isolated. And that of course can be why some, some relationships are so painful, right? Because we feel isolated in them um, even though we're with someone and yet Mm -hmm. we feel isolated. Um, And that's another reason why I think your book is so powerful because it gives people just, you know, 20 minutes around a particular thing that brings them into connection with their partner around mm. something. So that definitely, I think, is contributing to the healing conversation. Um, another yeah. thing that popped into mind too is, um, and it sounded like you had something to say there, but is the um, ability to just like choose an accountability partner, mm-hmm. like just someone where you're like, you, you show up once a week and you agree like, okay, this is, this is what I'm gonna do over the coming week to honor my joy or my grief or whatever yeah. it is. And then you show up the following week and get to be accountable to this other person helps you at least stay in conversation about and in process around those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It helps, it helps, you know, you to, to really um, have that, that human connection, somebody to kind of bounce your thoughts off of and, and to really have that attachment relationship that, that can um, be so lacking uh, in a lot of our histories is just that kind of sense of a, even, you know, the secure attachment. So you're really kind of getting as an adult, you're, you have the opportunity to get these doses of secure attachment and you can't do that in isolation. So it's really important to, to kind of create those opportunities for yourself. I was going to mention that, you know, Amir Levine's book and Rachel Heller, their book attached that, I really love um, one of the quotes in the book about how, you know, this myth of, of independence 
you know, there's so much pathology or there's often we kind of talk about, oh, you know, um, you don't want to be um, codependent. And I love the way that that Amir Levine and Rachel Heller write about that, that when two people form an intimate bond, they actually regulate each other psychologically and emotionally. And that that we are dependent, you know, we are interdependent. And, and so even if you're not in a relationship, it, it's very valuable to have those friendships or those, those bonds with other people where you can experience loving, secure attachment. Yeah. And so just hearing you say that, I'm thinking that might look like finding the friends that you feel safe with to say like, hey, could we just get together and attune to each other mm-hmm. and literally calling attention to that, that that's what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Like, can we just be together and, mm-hmm. you know, meet each other's gaze and breathe together? And then, and then maybe we'll each share something about what's mm-hmm. going on in our lives. Mm, yeah. yeah. I could see that being really powerful and and super vulnerable for, mm-hmm. for some people so yeah yeah well we do it a lot anyway so whether we call it out or not you know it, it's it, i think it's being aware yourself that when you call up you know your friend or you meet them for coffee and you're you're discharging frustration or you know or you're excited about an accomplishment you know or you're feeling vulnerable about a new connection you've made and you're just you know you're talking and you're sharing and your friend, your your uh, this person, even if they're not you're not romantically involved with them, is listening and taking you in. That that is a healing moment, and those healing moments are are supportive are supportive of of you. So I think it's good to just kind of see where that's happening and acknowledge it. Mm, yeah, yeah, and let's let's circle back around to to the pleasure. Sure, I think that I don't want to lose that thread. Because um, I'm curious from your perspective, let's say, let's say, okay, I, I, I hung out with my friend Jerry the other day, I vented all my grief, and I'm ready, <laughs> I'm ready for some pleasure, but I'm still feeling a little alienated from me and like what makes me tick and what feels good and, and how to grow that in my life. So what would be a next step for me? Hmm. So... That's a great question. You know, I, um, I, this is a little bit of self-disclosure, but I, uh, I engaged in this program called Mama Gina School of Womanly Arts for mm-hmm. a little while. And her, Regina Thomas Hauer writes a lot about pleasure and she writes about it more in the context of, of women kind of claiming and reclaiming their own pleasure. Um, but it's a lot of it really Pleasure is so shamed in our in, in our culture, in many cultures, and productivity is celebrated. And um, her, her sort of hypothesis, her theory is that you know women are literally built for pleasure. You know we have more more nerves, more availability for pleasure than men. And so to to kind of shut down, to be shut down to pleasure is really to be shut down to our aliveness as women. And then, of course, the more shut down we are to that, the less we can take other people around us higher. So I kind of see it through that framework, but I think it's also relevant to men. And 
Um, you know, especially when you think about the fact that we all contain the masculine and the feminine uh, within ourselves, no matter what gender we were born as. And so I think that that in your case, or, or what was the case of the hypothetical person, <laughs> um, you know, it would it would be about really um, connecting to your body and and not necessarily in a sexual erotic way, although that could be a part of it, but to really connect to your senses and um, and whether it's music or whether it's it's something visual or whether it's breathing or smelling, it's this idea that that making time to enjoy life through your senses is an act of pleasure and it is kind of a revolutionary act because it's not anything you're going to get promoted for at work or you know people are going to slap you on the back for or people are going to envy you for you know so it's it's sort of like really approaching pleasure as a whole new paradigm yeah i'm i got a little lost in what you were saying because i was just like yeah my senses and i i was taking a moment to just enjoy like what is like what does this world smell like that I'm in right now and you know I was just like touching my hands with mm. like one hand with my other hand and just feeling what that felt like and and noticing how much actually is available just in the moment to me um, yeah. while we sit here on Skype together and you know, I'm not violating the boundaries of my monogamous <laughs> commitment to my wife by like sitting here and just breathing the air and, and touching right. my own hand. And, and um, yeah, I'm reminded of when, uh, when Betty Martin was on the show. This was back uh, this past summer, I think. Are you familiar with her work at all? She talks about mm -hmm. the wheel of consent. No, but uh, I will go back and listen to that. Yeah, you might, you might want to check that out. And one thing that she talks about is um, this exercise where um, you literally just hold a rock in your hand and just like touch the rock and wake up your hands, your fingers to mm. um, the gift of, of sense, sensation. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm not really doing the exercise justice by describing it here, but it, it just reminded me of that. And, mm. and um you're also reminding me that I've wanted to have, uh, Ma what's her name? Mama Gina? Mama, Mama Gina. Gina uh -huh. Yeah, I wanted to have her on the show, so I got to reach out to her for sure. <laughs> um, great. Well, and you're also reminding me of one of the, the, the exercises that you talk about in your book that made me really chuckle, which um, in, in like a good way, which was um, the love catch. <laughs> Um, it reminded me a little bit of the the positive flooding that um, yeah. that Harvel and Helen talk about. But can you describe how that game works? Sure. Um, I, maybe I'll tell you about the the origins of it Great. first. Maybe that'll explain a little bit. Um, so I have a nine year old, and um, and we we have ruptures, of course, and around things like you know bedtime and um, and homework and food and all kinds of other fun stuff. But one of the things that, um, that I discovered would help us work through a rupture was more physical. Sometimes, you know, we can 
do a little bit of talking, but we would go outside and just throw a football or, um, you know, throw or, or kick a soccer ball. And, and then my husband would join in and, um, and so we kind of brought this into the living room and cause it, if it's too cold to go out or it's snowing, we can always do it outside. And then gradually my husband and I would occasionally do it where, um, we would just try to add motion and movement to whatever we were doing. If we needed to process something or if we just needed to kind of get a jolt of energy or, or connection, we would just pick something up and throw it, <laughs> throw it, <laughs> throw it. <laughs> hopefully you're not too angry, not throwing it at each other's heads, but, you know, just, um, throwing a ball or an orange or, uh, you know, uh, maybe not a shoe, but a pillow, you know, um, it, it, and then speaking words, uh, you know, saying, I celebrate this, or I love this about you, like the flooding in Imago, it, it really changes your body chemistry so that you're not, it's not just an intellectual exercise, but you're, you're getting into that pleasure that we were just talking about. You know, you're getting into doing something that moves your body and, um, helps, helps the, the connection, not just be this intellectual exercise. It helps it be fun. Mm. Yeah. So, and I could see that like, just there's something about the mechanics of tossing something back and forth that is going to invite you into that playful space in your, in your brain. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So just yeah. in case people didn't totally get it, let's like, what is the love catch exercise? So the love catch exercise is um, finding something that is throwable and throwing it uh, at your partner, towards your partner, maybe not at your partner and saying, you know, like I celebrate our life together. I celebrate the amazing dinner we just had. I celebrate your gorgeous smile. So it's, and every time you say something, you're kind of tossing this, this orange or ball or pillow at your partner towards your partner and they're catching it and then tossing it back. So it's a way of reconnecting to that, uh, that playful young kid energy that, that we all have inside us. Yeah. I'm hearing the kid energy, the playfulness, the pleasure, the appreciations that we spoke about way at the beginning of our conversation and, uh, and also developing that, that resonance with your partner to help you feel connected. Yeah. Well, Alicia Munoz, thank you so much for being with us today. And I mean, we, we kind of covered the gamut and I hope that's okay. I asked you some challenging questions, but I felt a little bit of license to do that because your book covers so many <laughs> different areas. And I was like, there's no way, like I can't just single, you know, just dive into one thing uh, here. Um, yeah. But I hope that everyone listening got a flavor for, for how you operate and um, the gifts that you offer and your ability to synthesize so many different things. And, and I mean this sincerely that as you read through No More Fighting, you'll, you'll see, oh, like there's, there's Dick Schwartz and Internal Family Systems and there's Harville Hendricks and Imago and there's um, uh, Emily Nagoski talking about um, erotic energy and the, the, 
the brakes and the accelerator and it's it's all in there and and I loved that and so for you if you've if you're enjoying relationship alive and you're looking for a book that makes a lot of the wisdom on here practical in in bite-sized chunks um then then I definitely suggest you check out No More Fighting, 20 Minutes a Week to a Stronger Relationship. Uh, Tammy Nelson wrote the foreword to the book. She was also here on the show not too long ago. And um, yeah, it's so valuable. Um, and I, I appreciate the way that you're able to take all these things and, and make them accessible and actionable for people. Um, as a reminder, if you want to download a transcript, just visit neilsatin.com slash no more fighting, uh, where we will also have a link to Alicia's website, which I believe is aliciamunoz.com, correct? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's correct. And, uh, and a link, of course, to the book. And if you're one of the people who downloads the transcript in the first week, then you will have a chance at getting a signed copy of No More Fighting. And, uh, and Alicia, you're, are you, um, you're also on Instagram, right? Like you, you were talking about how you're diving into that as a way of, of helping connect to people and also giving them again, really kind of bite-sized morsels to help them in their relationship. Yes. Yes. I am on there. My handle is Alicia Munoz couples and I post there almost every day and I've, I've actually started to post one minute quick tip videos. So I really encourage people to, to check that out. Cool. I will definitely check that out. Awesome. Um, and we should, we should link up there. I'm relationship alive official, um, on Instagram. Someone poached relationship alive and like put up my logo and everything. <laughs> oh, so no. I know it's, it's horrible. <laughs> so some interloper, but, yeah. um, Anyway, Alicia, it's been just such a pleasure to have you here with us today. And, and uh, thank you so much for your contribution. Mm, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.